We come to this Lord's Day to take up again our study in the God of all comforts. This is the 41st in the series of messages on the subject. We've spoken at length about how God's comfort to His people rests primarily in His salvation of His people from sin and death and hell, by which He gives us peace with God and everlasting life in glory in the presence of God and the angels and each other and our Lord Jesus for all eternity. He is the ultimate comforter, you see, of His people. All the troubles that we have in this life are all swallowed up in the great comfort of our Lord Jesus. Now, everyone in this life longs for a comforter in times of trouble. Really, if you think about it, we're not just talking about someone who can say some nice, pretty words. And isn't this really the problem that we have being comforters is that there's often nothing but words that we can offer. The tragedy of going to a funeral and being unable to offer real comfort at an earthly level for the poor person who's lost his loved ones. Oh, we can offer comfort through the Gospel if the loved one was saved and went to heaven to be with the Lord Jesus, but oftentimes we don't know that for sure, and then there's really not much comfort we can offer, is there? Other than just words. Even when we can't think of the words that we ought to speak. But what we need in times of trouble is not just somebody who can speak comfortable words, but someone to come alongside us to help carry the load with us. Or at least to understand and sympathize with our trouble. Because so often we try to comfort people and we really don't even have a grasp of what it is they're going through or any understanding of what it is they are troubled by. When we see comforters, for example, in the book of Job, you remember Job was involved in a titanic struggle or fight or dispute, if you will, between God and Satan. But Job didn't realize that. And Satan went to slander Job before God and God told him that he could do whatever he wanted to Job, but not to take his life. And the devil goes and destroys all of Job's children and destroys all of Job's property and destroys all of his servants and all of his cattle and then destroys his health with boils all over his body. And of course, Job was very clear in his statement that it was the Lord that did these things to him. And so it was. Because God is the sovereign ruler and controls all things and He permitted the devil as his agent, as it were, as his tool to afflict Job in all these matters for purposes which we have studied already so that we might understand how things operate, the mighty power of God and the Savior that God has promised to us in the Redeemer that Job said he would see one day with his own eyes. And so it was that when all these troubles fell upon Job, in Job chapter 2 at verse 11, we read, Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, they came every one from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite, 
for they had made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. And when they lifted up their eyes afar off and knew him not, they lifted up their voice and wept, and they rent everyone his mantle and sprinkled dust upon their heads toward heaven. So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spake a word unto him, for they saw that his grief was very great. Here were three would-be comforters who came to mourn with Job. That would have been okay and proper had they not then begin to open their big mouths and start analyzing Job's situation from a state of complete ignorance and foolishness. It soon transpired that they didn't really sympathize with Job because they did not understand the ways of God. That trouble and grief are not always due to our direct sin. You know, they had sort of the prosperity gospel notion way back then, didn't they? That if you were righteous and obeyed God, why then God would bless you, wouldn't He? There wouldn't be any trouble come to you. And that's one of the reasons God wrote the book of Job, provided it to us, was to show us that that's not true at all. Trouble comes to the best people. Trouble comes to people who are close to God, who obey God. Of course, none of us obeys Him perfectly. But those who might be described as righteous, even those who have trusted in the Lord Jesus, trouble comes to us, doesn't it? God doesn't guarantee no trouble. He guarantees a perfect ending, doesn't He? But these people, these comforters, they concluded that God was judging Job because Job had sinned. And all Job needed to do was just admit to it and confess it and forsake it, and then everything would be all right. But that wasn't true at all. And Job knew it wasn't true. And Job protested that he had done nothing wrong against God to warrant all of this trouble. And he began to question why God wouldn't answer him and why God did this to him and how he didn't have a day's man, a man to go between him and God to argue his position, pointing to the Lord Jesus who would make peace between poor lost men and God. He doesn't just argue a position. He reconciles us, doesn't he, by his blood shedding on the cross. So trouble and grief are not always due to our direct sin, although they are always due to man's sin generally. They're due to the fall. They're due to the introduction of corruption and death into the creation by Adam's sin, and which is laid upon all of us. He was our representative. He acted in our place, didn't He? And in His crime, we were all condemned, not to mention our own crimes. And so they began to accuse Job of some sin against God. And after Job had put up with that for a while, in Job chapter 16, we read these plaintiff words. Then Job answered and said, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are ye all. Shall vain words have an end? Or what emboldeneth thee that thou answerest? I also could speak as you do. If your soul were in my soul's place, I could heap up words against you and shake mine head at you. But I would strengthen you with my mouth and the moving of my lips would assuage your grief. Though I speak, my grief is not assuaged. And though I forbear, what am I eased? But now he hath made me weary. Thou hast made desolate all my company. Thou hast filled me with wrinkles, which is a witness against me. 
and my leanness rising up in me beareth witness to my face. He teareth me in his wrath, who hateth me. He gnasheth upon me with his teeth. Mine enemy sharpeneth his eyes upon me. They have gaped upon me with their mouth. They have smitten me upon the cheek reproachfully. They have gathered themselves together against me. God hath delivered me to the ungodly and turned me over unto the hands of the wicked. Now, in this plaint that Job makes, we see a foreshadowing, don't we, of what would happen to the Lord Jesus when He went to the cross. While Job is not in any way arguing that the sins of other people have been laid on him, he is describing in uncanny similitude, isn't he, the way the Lord Jesus was treated when He was put to death for the sin of His people and not for anything that was His own fault. The great irony of the Lord Jesus' sacrifice is that in order to comfort us by saving us, it was necessary that Christ have no comforters. We see this foretold in Psalm 69, which we read out this Lord's Day. For example, at verse 1, Save me, O God, for the waters are come in unto my soul. They that hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of mine head. They that would destroy me, being mine enemies, wrongfully are mighty. Then I restored that which I took not away. O God, Thou knowest my foolishness, and my sins are not hid from Thee. Let not them that wait on Thee, O Lord God of hosts, be ashamed for my sake. Let not those that seek Thee be confounded. For my sake, O God of Israel, because for thy sake I have borne reproach, shame hath covered my face. Thou hast known my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. Mine adversaries are all before thee. Reproach hath broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness. And I looked for some to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They gave me also gall for my meat. And in my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. And later on, the psalmist recites the words of the Spirit of Christ about Himself that these wicked people had reproached the One whom Thou hast smitten, that is, God has smitten, reproached the One whom Thou hast rebuked. The reproach of Christ was not only the reproaches that wicked men heaped upon Him, in false accusations, but it was also the reproach and the rebuke of God. And that they were attacking one who was already under the reproach and rebuke of God. And of course, we know the reason for this, don't we? We see Christ taking our sin upon Himself and treating it as if it was His own, and God treating it as if it were Christ and punishing Him and reproaching Him and rebuking Him, even as the wicked men around reproached and rebuked Him. The composer George Friedrich Handel included some of these words in his wonderful oratorio Messiah. And when we were small children, we listened to those beautiful pieces 
over and over and over again till the records were almost worn out. And surely one of the most tragic and sad songs ever written is how Handel put to music the words of this psalm and also of the book of Lamentations. And it goes something like this. Thy rebuke hath broken his heart. He is full of heaviness. He is full of heaviness. Thy rebuke hath broken his heart. He looked for some to have pity on him, but there was no man, neither found he any to comfort him. Behold and see, behold and see, if there be any sorrow like unto his sorrow, behold and see. If there be any sorrow like unto his sorrow. And I can't read the words of the psalmist without thinking of that haunting, that haunting setting to the music that Mr. Handel has given us. Taken together, the text in Psalm 69 makes it clear that it was God's rebuke that bore so heavily upon the Lord Jesus. The reproach of our sins fell on Jesus. He took them on Himself, didn't He? He was judged in our place by the Father for our crimes. And in Isaiah 53, we find played out again in prophecy by the Spirit of Christ, this very same thing. We did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we're healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord hath laid on Him the iniquity of us all. And then later on in the same passage, it says, It pleased the Lord to crush him. He hath put him to grief. He hath made his soul an offering for sin. He shall see of the travail of his soul and be satisfied. By thy knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities." So we see in Isaiah 53 and in Psalm 69 the same storyline, the same prophecy described once in poetry and once in that glorious text of the prophet Isaiah. The reproach of our sins fell on Jesus and His trouble and His sorrow were not merely the trouble and sorrow that wicked men heaped upon Him. And we know the story of the crucifixion well. They heaped upon Him shame and dishonor and reproach and mocking 
and challenging the promises that God had made to Messiah and demanding that he come down from the cross. Let no one say that Christ didn't suffer God's wrath for our sins laid upon him. Now there are a bunch of false preachers and heretics who do deny that God's wrath fell on Christ for our sins. They know nothing of the Scriptures. They completely miss the pathos of what the Lord Jesus did. They have no ability to understand what it was that was happening to Christ on Calvary's tree. They're worse than the people that lived in Christ's day who also didn't understand what the Lord Jesus suffered on the cross. Brother Gill has this to say about this verse 20 in Psalm 69. Reproach hath broken my heart. This was his case when his soul was exceeding sorrowful unto death and his heart like wax melted in the midst of his bowels. And I am full of heaviness as he was in the garden or very sick, yea, incurably sick as the word signifies. For what cure is there for a broken heart? And I looked for some to take pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. His disciples forsook him and fled. The priests, scribes, and common people that attended him at the cross, mocking him. The thieves that were crucified with him reviled him, and his father hid his face from him. Only a few women stood afar off and lamented. Now the lack of a man to comfort Jesus is seen in the passion of the Savior and in the hours that led up to His dying on Calvary's tree. We read this morning Mark chapter 14. At verse 32, they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, and He saith to His disciples, Sit ye here while I shall pray. He taketh unto Him Peter and James and John, those were His closest disciples, began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy, and saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And He went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from Him. And He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto Thee. Take away this cup from Me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what Thou wilt. And He cometh, and He findeth him sleeping. And saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst not thou watch for an hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is ready, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed and spoke the same things. When he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, neither wist they what to answer him. Then in Luke 22, at verse 42, Christ is quoted as saying, Father, if Thou be willing, remove this cup from Me. Nevertheless, not My will, but Thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto Him from heaven, ministering to Him. And being in an agony, He prayed more earnestly, and His sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when He rose up from prayer and was come to His disciples, He found them sleeping for sorrow. They couldn't even stay awake to pray with Him. That's how lacking the Lord Jesus was in any man to comfort Him. Notice the angels ministered to Him, but there was no man to comfort Him. And they, they didn't seem to grasp what was the problem that Christ wrestled with. It wasn't just dying, it was dying as a sin offering. 
He was having our sins laid upon Him. It was being rebuked not just by men, but by God. It was being crushed by God as the punishment for the sins of His people laid upon Him. The Lord Jesus could have easily faced common death, couldn't He? After all, He had complete control over when He would die and how He would die. And were it not for the judgment portion of it from God's wrath for our sin, He could cheerfully face death, just like many men can cheerfully face death, can't they? And He knew He would be raised again from the dead. But it was the prospect of the cup, that is, the cup of wrath which we should have drunk, being proffered to Him and Him being made to drink it all the way to the dregs. They couldn't even stay awake to pray for Him. Why? Because they really didn't understand what it was that He was suffering or the reason for it. That's why they couldn't be comforters. Remember, to be a comforter, you have to have more than just glib words. You need to at least understand what it is that the person you're comforting is going through. And they didn't have a clue, did they? They wouldn't listen to what He told them He was going through, which is He was shedding His blood for the forgiveness of their sin. They didn't understand what the prophets had said through the Spirit of Christ, that He would be our substitute. He would be judged by God, guilty on our behalf, that we might be judged perfect in Christ, that our sins might be taken away, that peace might be reestablished between us and God, that we might have the promise and the surety of everlasting life. They didn't understand what the cross was about. If they thought that Christ was being crucified merely because the people rejected Him as King and Messiah, they weren't even a tenth of the way to understanding what the real anguish of his soul was and therefore they could not comfort him even if they could stand by but they really didn't stand by did they because in mark 14 at verse 50 it is reported that when christ was arrested and taken away then they all forsook him and fled all that braggadocio of peter and all that bravery that he spoke on behalf of the rest of the disciples vanished away didn't it like a mist on a hot summer morning They forsook Him and they fled. They weren't even there to comfort Him, you see. And then men mocked Him as He died in shame and agony. And there were a few disciples that Jesus could see and speak to. But no matter who was there, whether friend or foe, none could comfort Him because none knew the depths of despair and anguish and agony that the Lord Jesus endured for us in order to save us. You see, the principal reason there was no man to comfort Him is that there was nobody who understood the travails of Jesus. None to come along beside Him. And certainly none that could help bear Christ's load. There was none that could help bear Christ's load. You know, the reason there was none that could bear Christ's load is because only Christ could be the sacrificial lamb. Nobody could help shoulder the burden of our sin, could they? He had to bear it all himself. Now, the thief on the cross could utter words of sympathy, but even he could not comfort Christ, helping him bear the load of guilt of the Savior. Even the thief who stated his profession of trust in Jesus, couldn't be a comforter to Christ. 
In this sense, the Lord Jesus was quite alone, you see. He was quite alone. There was no other human being who could understand what He was suffering, much less help Him to endure it or uphold Him in any way or share the load in any way. He was the unique, only, solitary Lamb of God. And at that point, He was alone. And it had to be that way. It had to be that way. As the hymn writer put it, He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them His very own. He bore that burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. No other human being could help the Lord Jesus to endure it. And therefore, there was no man who could comfort his soul. The lamb could not be helped or upheld or assisted as he was made a sacrifice for us. The truth is that had any man been able to truly comfort Jesus, his sacrifice would have been broken, wouldn't it? It would have been broken. We would have been lost forever if there had been a comforter for Christ amongst the children of men. If there had been a comforter, then He had not made the perfect, terrible, saving sacrifice. And so we would have forever been damned for our sins unatoned for by the holy spotless Lamb of God who was slain in His love for us, slain alone. He alone bore our sins in His own body on the tree. But the astounding thing is this. This is what we see that while Christ was without a comforter in His depths of woe at the cross, He comforted the poor sinful thief who cried out for Him for help. Christ offered comfort to a wicked, evil, broken sinner in the throes of death even while no man could comfort Him. How did He comfort Him? By promising Him salvation and everlasting life that very day. Can you imagine anything more comforting than the Lord Jesus saving a person in the throes of death? But think about it. This is the way He comforts all of His people, doesn't He? He comforts us by promising us freedom from guilt and judgment and shame and rescue from death by the resurrection and everlasting glory in His presence for all eternity. The very thing that could not comfort Christ because He could not be substituted. He could not be rescued from the death. You remember it was like the lamb that God provided to Abraham to substitute for Isaac His son on the altar. You see, for that lamb, there was no substitute, was there? He was the end of the line as far as that action item was concerned. And for our Lord Jesus, there was no lamb of substitute to take His place. He was the end of the line. He was the lamb. It all fell on Him. There was no comfort available to Him at the hands of men because no substitute, no sacrifice to relieve Him of His pain and of his sorrow could be made. And so too he is able to comfort all his people who trust in him just like he comforted the thief on the cross. Having been without comforters, 
He is determined that we should never be without comfort. He has not only determined that we should never be without comfort, He has guaranteed our comfort in that He was not comforted. But He knows what it is to face the judgment of wrath for sin without a comforter. And He is determined that none of us who trust in Him should ever be put in such a position where we cannot be comforted in our hour of need. There is a song that my grandmother taught us. She would sing it all the time. And we would sing it with her. And everyone knows the words well. It goes like this. I've seen the lightning flashing. And I've heard the thunder roll. And I felt temptations dashing, trying to conquer my soul. But I heard the voice of Jesus saying, He would ever be with me. He promised never to leave me. Never to leave me alone. No, never alone. No, never alone. He promised never to leave me. Never to leave me alone. And that we might be comforted, it was necessary that Christ not be comforted as He bore our sins in His own body on the tree. Christ comforts us in our chief and principal trouble, our sins, and the load of guilt, and the wrath and judgment and hell that we deserve. He has come along beside us and not just sympathized and not just spoken trite words of comfort, not just put His arm around us or helped us to bear up under the load. No, He shifted our sin off onto Himself entirely and discharged our debt completely in His own body and blood so that we might go free and clear. And He offers to us poor helpless sinners the same comfort that He promised that poor guilty thief one day soon. One day soon we will be with Him in paradise. You see, the comfort that God offers to poor people is always really the same one. It doesn't change. It may be seen or understood slightly differently in different times with different amounts of knowledge. But the same comfort that He promised that He offered to that thief is the same comfort that He gives to all who put their trust in Him. And that is why we celebrate the comfortless Jesus on the cross, His body and blood saving us from our terminal fear and dread. And because He was without comforters, He has guaranteed that we shall always be comforted in His salvation which He wrought for us. And that is why we are so careful to articulate the teachings of the Scriptures in such a way that there can never be any credit given to us as sinners. That we should claim no glory ourselves. That we should claim no responsibility for helping God to save us, that we should claim no honor in our humility which God clothes us with or in our faith which God bestows to us by the Holy Ghost, that it should all be of God, that it should all be the work of our Lord Jesus who was comfortless on Calvary's tree, that all of our comfort might depend upon what God has done and what God has said and what God has promised and none should be 
and ourselves. And we have a good reason to do that because the Lamb is all the glory in Emmanuel's land. And that's our purpose and goal around this table is that Christ should receive all the glory and that we should be aware and understand what it was the Lord went through. You remember the songwriter said that none of the ransomed ever know how deep were the waters crossed nor how dark was the night that the Lord passed through ere He found His sheep that was lost. Praise God. And so we come to this Lord's table to be reminded of the body and the blood of Jesus and how He was comfortless there on Calvary's tree so that we might never be without comfort in the work and salvation of our precious Redeemer. Well, let's give thanks for the bread that pictures the body of Christ broken for us. Oh God, our Father, we rejoice in what You have done for us through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and that He was willing to suffer in our place and for our crimes, and that not only did wicked men heap scorn and shame and ridicule and reproach upon Him, but You also judged Him and rebuked Him and reproached Him on account of our sins laid upon Him which He patiently bore and which He discharged completely by His body and blood. We thank You for the bread that He left us to picture that body that was torn, that was abused, that was spit upon, that was crowned with thorns, that was rent with nails and by the Roman spear, and that He was marred more than any man and made unrecognizable as a man. And yet He is our Redeemer, our Savior, and we give you the praise that He left us this bread to celebrate the body of His sacrifice by which we receive perfect, infinite, and eternal comfort. Even though He received no comfort while He pursued our redemption at the cross, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The Scriptures tell us that on the night our Lord was betrayed, He took the bread and He blessed it and He broke it. And he said, take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I'd like to ask my father if he would give thanks for the cup that pictures the blood of the sacrifice that takes away our sin. And the Scriptures tell us that after they had supped, he took the cup and he blessed it and he said, drink ye all of it. This cup is the new covenant in my blood for the remission of sin. Do it as often as you do it in remembrance of me. And the Scriptures tell us that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we do preach the Lord's death until He comes. Let's stand and sing number 452 in the big blue book. Number 452. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how He could love me a sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful. And my song shall ever be, how marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. 452.